how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Chapter 13, where are my notes? 17 to 22. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near for God said, the people might change their minds, and when they see war and return to Egypt, hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of, of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out to Sakuth and encamped on Etham at the edge of the wilderness. Then the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on their way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Amen. Should we just pray for a moment? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that there's truth in it for us to get hold of today. And Lord, I pray that you will just bring this message home, Lord, into our hearts and help us to live it in the week that we have ahead, and even beyond that, into our lives ahead, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in that reading that we just heard, we are thinking about particularly focusing on this pillar of cloud and fire that were leading the people of Israel in their journey out of Egypt. And I want us to think about that word journey just for a moment because there's a lot of traveling and journeying that is being talked about in the verses we just heard read to us. And when those people of Israel were delivered out of their slavery and their oppression in Egypt, they began a journey, didn't they? In fact, last week we heard about them eating that Passover meal together, but they had to eat with their kind of clothes ready, hitched up, ready to go, and their shoes on their feet. They were about to go somewhere. They embarked upon a journey, and you know the story. They were set free from Egypt by God sending the plagues upon Pharaoh and on the Egyptians so that they would loosen their hold, loosen their grip on God's people Israel so that they could move and get on a journey towards, well, where were they going? Do we forget sometimes when we get so caught up in the story, in the dramatic bits of the story, the plagues that come, the, the Passover meal that's being had? Do we forget that they had a destination? And that destination was really, really, really important. It's what the whole identity of the people of Israel was all about, in those days. It was the land of Canaan, the promised land. That was where they were on their way to when they set out from the land of Egypt. A land that God had promised generations ago 
to these people's forefathers, to Moses' forefathers, to Abraham, to his son Isaac, to his son Jacob, and to his sons Joseph and the others. God promised, I'm going to give you a land to live in, a promised land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a land where you can settle and put down roots and call it your home and establish the kind of community that otherwise this world does not understand and is not seeing. A community that reflects the very heart and character and purposes of God. That's what they were going for. That was their destination. That was the journey that they were just setting out on. And they knew that that was what they were aiming at. At least at the beginning. When they first set out. They knew that that's what they were aiming at. They had that in their heart. But we find them... In this story, at the beginning of their exodus, exodus just means a going out and embarking upon a journey. We find them at the beginning and that destination, I'm sure, was burning in their hearts, was clear in their minds. We've been enslaved for all of these years. Lord, please lead us to that home, that place of home, that place of peace, that place that we can call our own. Now, I wonder when you were first saved by Jesus and when you were delivered by him, set free from the slavery, not of Egyptians probably, but the slavery of sin, the slavery and the oppression of Satan himself who controls the kingdoms of this world, who controls our lives until we give them over into the Lordship of Jesus. When you were first saved and when you were first set free to begin this new life with Jesus, I wonder if you knew as strongly and as confidently as these Israelites did that you were setting out on a journey, on a journey with the Lord. I wonder if you saw it like that. I wonder if you thought about it that way. Did you know that you had a purpose set in front of you, a purpose that could shape your whole identity, how you understand yourself and your life and your choices and your decisions and what you're going to do with your family and what kind of work you're going to do and how you're going to spend your time? Did you know there was a purpose in that, a direction and a destination ahead of you to move in? Perhaps there were some of us, and and we just kind of thought to ourselves, phew, okay, well, now I've given my life to Jesus. That's good. I can kind of sit back and relax, and, uh, you know, I've got my free pass into heaven. You know, I know where I'm going when I die, and so now all I have to do is just sort of keep my head down and live not too shabby a life, you know, not too nasty. I won't be be really bad. I'll be as good as I possibly can be between now and then. But basically, I've got my pass into heaven when I die, and, and that's kind of okay. Now I just get through life. And you know, some people live the Christian life that way. And some people, when they're thinking about church and coming to church and being a part of a church... Maybe in the back of their mind or subconsciously, they're kind of seeing this like a kind of club where you go because you share interests 
with others, you know, other people who have an interest in God and heaven and eternity and the Bible maybe a little bit. And, and so we go here together because we share those interests. And when we get together, we pass the time exploring those interests together. And that's kind of what the rhythm of the church-going life can become about. But it's not in any way what Jesus calls us to in reality as the people of God. We're not just a collection of people who've got some shared interests. Some of us are relieved about that because we think we don't share interests with anybody else in the room. But we're not that. That's not what this is for. We are a people who have been given a calling and a destination to get to. And you know, that's why right at the very beginning of Ichthus, uh, when Roger and Faith were planting this church life, Roger was keen and said all over the place, and we still use the terminology today all the time, I hope. He said, I want us to be known as a movement, not primarily as a church or an organization, or some kind of new denomination, or whatever. Primarily, we want to know and understand ourselves as ichthus people, as a movement. Because a church or an organization can become, in our minds, something very static. But a movement is something that is going somewhere. It has some direction, some purpose, and it's going to move. It's going to change position. It's going to take ground. It's going to get on a journey together. And as the ichthus movement, and as part of it, as many of us here are today, we are a people who are going somewhere together. We are on the move to reach the world for Jesus. That's our little strapline on our website. But that is what we want to keep in our hearts as we go forward together as God's people. We never want to become static and think this is just about getting through life now in the least offensive way possible. We've got a journey we've got to get on. And what is that destination for us? For the people of Israel that we're reading about, it was a physical land, a geographical piece of space. But that is to teach us something. It is to show us something as we look back and read in the Old Testament this story. It is meant to quicken us and quicken our imaginations and help us to see we've got a destination too. It's not a piece of ground or a piece of geography, but we have a purpose and we have an outcome for the journey that we are on together. And I want us to think about that for a moment and remind ourselves of it. It's a threefold destination that we are embarking on, that we are moving towards as God's people. Did you know this? Number one, we are moving towards this beautiful destiny that it talks about in Romans 8 verse 29. We are moving towards each and every one of us being conformed to the image of Jesus himself. That is a massive, massive destiny. And it's important. It's important because we want to measure whether we're moving in that direction, don't we? That's why holiness is important in the church. It's not a tick box about being a good person. That's not what holiness is. It's not like a list of behaviors that you or I achieve. 
The point is, do you look a little bit more like Jesus than you did yesterday, than you did last year, than you did 10 years ago? And if it's not the case, if stuff is not shifting, if things are not moving, if things are not being dealt with and broken off us and renewed and forgiven and cleaned out and cleared out in our lives as we go forward, then we've lost sight of our destiny. I want to be more like Jesus in 10 years' time than I am today. I want that. I haven't arrived yet. None of us have. The Apostle Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect, but I've got a journey I'm pressing on into. And that's not to make us feel dismayed about our flaws and our imperfections and the things that we get wrong. The Lord is the one who makes the changes. The Lord is the one who, by his Spirit, pours out his life into our lives, pours out his holiness into our lives, and brings about that transformation. It's not about a tick box you have to achieve, but it is about keeping that destiny in your heart and saying, Lord, please, I want to be more like you. And the things I know aren't like you, please, would you cleanse them, renew them, and change them? That's the first part. But there's a second part to our destiny and our destination. We are called, aren't we, to make Jesus known in this world and to bear fruit for him and for his kingdom so that other people who don't know anything about Jesus and his kingdom can see what his kingdom is like because there is a bunch of people on this planet who are living out of a different view of the world, a different view of leadership that doesn't just come down to military might achieving things for us because we know how well that goes in the world, right? That's not leadership. It's not the biggest and the strongest impressing their brilliant views on everyone else. Jesus shows us something totally different a kingdom that is upside down, a kingdom where Jesus says, the one who wants to be great among you will be one who serves. Even bigger than that, he is the greatest of all, is the servant of all. It is an upside down kingdom and we are to be people that bear the fruit of that, that show what that is like, that express it in some way, that make Jesus known in the world, that fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave to his people. That is our destiny, to get involved in that and we'll all have different parts to play in that. It's not that every single one of us will be a street corner preacher. Some of us will, others of us will bear fruit in different ways, in different sectors, in different areas of society, in our workplaces, with our friends, with our neighbors, with whoever it might be, all kinds of multiple various fruit. There's not just one kind of fruit, right? It's not just apples. (laughs) There's all kind. It looks different. It's different shapes, but it's good and it's fruitful. It's kingdom fruit if it's born of Jesus. That's the second part of our destiny. And thirdly, And maybe the one that we don't talk enough about, I don't know. But thirdly, did you know, people of God, that we have a destiny, a destination ahead of us to enter into a new heaven and a new earth together with Jesus, a new heaven and a new earth that God is already in the business of preparing and bringing in. 
an eternity with him that looks like everything this world was meant to be when it was first conceived in the very heart of God. And he put creation together and he built this universe for us. And he placed us as human beings right at the heart of it and said, you know what? This is all for you. I built this and created this for you because I love you, because I want you to reflect who I am in this world that I have made. And as God did that in his heart was such a a wonderful and beautiful place and we see glimpses of it and we hear it in God's declaration and those seven days of creation when he said it is good it is good it is good day after day there's good stuff in this world there's good things that I've created but it's got messed up now it's got wrecked and ruined by the sin and selfishness and self-promotion of human beings Um, who are under the influence of Satan himself, the great rebel against God. And we have messed it all up and it's got all broken and all wrong and gone into uh, a direction that it should never have done. But God says, even so, in the midst of this broken and messed up world, I am preparing something better and beautiful. It is a kingdom that in its fullness is so wonderful that your mind cannot even conceive of it. Your heart can't even be filled with the beauty and the wonder of it. It is a place where sorrow and sighing flee away. It is a place where pain and suffering is erased. It is a place where healing flows, where love is dominant, and where there is grace, and where Jesus' face shines so brilliantly that there's just no need even for the light of the sun because there is so much glory and goodness in that place. That is what God is preparing for us, (laughs) for our eternity He's at work on it now. There is a kingdom coming that we see glimpses of now, but is coming in its fullness. And it's our destiny to strive towards that, to keep the vision in our hearts and run for it and pursue it wholeheartedly. Because, you know, when we do that, when we move towards it, we bring it in more quickly. The Bible tells us we usher in the day when Jesus can say, it's time. It's time. I'm going to come back to this world and make a final end to everything that is of evil, everything that is of sin, everything that is of suffering. It's going to be done and gone and finished in a lake of fire. That day is part of our destiny. We're to run towards it and hold it in our hearts and seek for it. This is what we were saved for, these beautiful things. But you know, just like for these Israelites in the story that we read, it's really easy for us, isn't it, to forget the purpose of our journey, (laughs) to forget what we're here for, where we're going, and what it's all about. I'm sure you know we're told that it was potentially an 11-day journey could have been from Egypt to Canaan, (laughs) from their slavery to their promised land. But it ends up taking them 40 years of roaming around in the desert. It's easy for us to get lost. It's easy for us to get distracted along the way. It's easy for us to get discouraged and damaged 
and disillusioned by, well, by the hostile terrain that we're walking through and the battles that we have to fight along the way. It's easy to just stop moving, therefore, and stop growing and stop changing and stop really bearing any new fruit for Jesus. And that's why, like these Israelites, we need a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to help us keep moving and to guide us. And we need, don't we, this morning to just cry out to the Lord Jesus for a fresh pillar of cloud or pillar of fire if we feel that we've lost our way in the journey that we're walking with Jesus. So why, how did this fiery, cloudy pillar that we read about, how did this help them? How did it help them keep going on their journey? First thing I want to say about it is that the Lord went before them. It showed them and it demonstrated that the Lord went before them on this journey. And it says that in verse 21. In fact, the verb there, to go, it's literally the one we use in Hebrew for to walk, which I like because it's personal. It's a person. It wasn't just a a big fiery cloud, but there was a person in that cloud, moving, walking before them. That same verb that tells us that Adam walked with God in the Garden of Eden when they were in that close communion before things went wrong in the cool of the day in Genesis 3. But this time, the Lord is not walking beside. He's walking ahead. He's going before them. And you know, in the next chapter of Exodus, we're told that this pillar really was a personal kind of pillar. It was an angel or a messenger of God. And it also tells us in that chapter that the fire and the cloud were all kind of mixed together, probably. In this chapter, it sort of distinguishes them, the cloud in the day and the fire in the night. But I think probably it was a fiery, cloudy pillar. (laughs) And uh, there was a mix of those things. And of course, the fire blazed out in the nighttime and shone and lit up the darkness of that journey. But you know, fire and clouds all throughout the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament, fire and clouds, they are the very clothing of God himself. They are a sign that God's presence is here. They are signs that God is around. When the people saw clouds and fire, they knew that God was doing something. He was nearby. When Moses went up the mountain to receive those Ten Commandments, there was fire and clouds of smoke around that mountain. When Daniel saw a picture of the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days, he saw a great vision. They were wrapped in clouds, it tells us. When Moses first had his encounter with God, it was in a bush that was on fire. The fire was the very presence of God there. And fire and clouds was a sign that God's presence was with his people. And it went ahead of them. And it says in these verses, it did not depart from them. And all the time that the people were looking to move in the right direction, all the time they were looking to follow where the Lord wanted to lead them, well, of course, they would see him there, wouldn't they? In that pillar of cloud, in that pillar of fire, right there in front of them, 
filling their vision, filling their horizon, giving them confidence and hope that they could keep going forward, that God was there, that he hadn't left them, he hadn't departed. But of course, if they wanted to chart their own journey, if they forgot that they had a destination to get to, they wanted to find their own way, well, then they might start looking in other directions. They might even start looking down at the sat-nav on their phone, their Google Maps, and thinking, I reckon there's a better route through to Canaan. Maybe I can find it myself. And their eyes will come away from who goes ahead. Maybe even they might turn a whole 180 degrees and think, well, Egypt was all right, really. There were some good things about it. There was some safety and security there that I felt from time to time. Perhaps I should go back in that direction. And as long as the people of Israel were looking to go where God wanted to lead them, of course they were going to see that cloud and that fire and that pillar and the confidence and the strength and the encouragement that that gives would fill their hearts. But if they're going to turn away and think about a different sort of journey and a different kind of route then maybe they would start to think, oh, hang on, where is the Lord? Oh, I can't see him. Oh, I can't feel him. Maybe he's left. Maybe he's not with us. But all the while, they could see the pillar. They could have confidence that the Lord was with them, that he hadn't abandoned them, and that he wasn't just sending them anywhere. He wasn't sending them anywhere that he hadn't already gone before. And I wanted to say for some of us this morning, no matter what you are going through, and no matter how hard it might seem, don't think that Jesus hasn't walked that way before you. Don't think that he sends you into that journey alone. He's walked it. He's gone that way. He's experienced everything a human being can experience in life. He knows it. He's felt it. He's walked it as he walked this earth in his human body. And Graham Kendrick wrote a beautiful song about that. He said, Jesus walked where I walk. He stood where I stand. He felt what I feel. So he understands He was one of a hated race, stung by prejudice, suffering injustice, and yet he forgives. He is God with us, so close to us, Emmanuel. I felt those words were for some of us this morning who are walking a difficult journey. The Lord says, there's not one thing you're experiencing that I don't know not just in my head, not just because I'm watching from afar. I know it because I've walked it. I've experienced it. That journey to the cross, Jesus took on, his, on board every physical suffering that could ever be inflicted on a human body. He felt it. He understood it. He knew it in the experience of his suffering. And every pain that wrecks, racks the soul, he felt it. He went through it. He experienced it. He knows it. Every humiliation, every rejection, every exploitation of his vulnerability, he felt it in that journey through the cross. He knows, but he goes ahead of us so that he can bring us into his 
that place of our destination with him. There's also a fiery, cloudy pillar that brings us provision and protection for the journey. Because, you know, that cloud in the pillar, it would have given shade for the people from the heat of the day and the sun of the day. And then the fire in the nighttime, it would have given heat and light in the cold and the dark of the nighttime. And of course, that fire probably would have helped to ward off any wild animals that were out to attack the people in the desert, as well as being a good deterrent to the Egyptians, as we read about later in the story when they follow on after them in the next chapter. The fire stands in between God's people and those Egyptians. The Lord provided for his people and he sustained them on their journey and he gave them what they needed to get through the heat of the day and to get through the dark of the night. He had everything in place so that they had what they needed. He protected them from attack when they were desperate and vulnerable. I love that comment in verse 17 that we were reading earlier that tells us that God deliberately was leading the Israelites around a longer way than they needed to go, it seemed, so that they didn't have to walk straight into the land of the Canaanites and start their battles and fights straight away. Now, you know if you've read the story that there are a lot of battles and fights that are going to happen as time goes on for this people. They're going to fight some battles But God understood, he knew, he was compassionate towards this vulnerable people with a broken spirit that had been crushed under the slavery and the oppression of Pharaoh and Egypt. He knew they weren't ready for that kind of fight. He knew that they weren't ready for that kind of battling. And so he, in his great compassion for their weakness and their vulnerability, took them round a longer way. They needed to heal from their broken spirit before they were ready to start standing up and fighting for themselves. So he took them that gentler route. He provided and he protected for his people because he knows us. And you know, Jesus does the same for you in your journey. Perhaps you're feeling the heat of the day. Perhaps you're feeling the dark and the cold of the night right at the moment. Perhaps you're worried about financial pressures, family pressures, job pressures. You're worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, or how you're going to feed your family, or clothe them this winter time. Perhaps you're worried about paying your bills over this winter, but the Lord Jesus says to us, as his people, he says, don't be anxious, and don't worry. He cares for you, and he's gentle with you, and his promise to us this morning is he won't send you in to battles that you are not ready yet to fight. He won't do it. He loves you. He understands our vulnerability. And your heavenly Father, he knows what you need. And if you can seek first his kingdom, if you can keep the pillar in front of you, Jesus says, all these things, they will come. They will be added. You can trust me. And I want to just say this morning... Maybe you know these things in your head already. Maybe you know that the Lord is leading and guiding you and going ahead of you and lighting up the way for you. Maybe you know that he's promised to provide for you and to protect you, but somehow it's just kind of all out there somewhere and you're not really feeling it. 
somehow today. Maybe you're crying out from your heart for the Lord to just draw close and to wrap right in around you and to envelop you with his presence. And maybe you long to feel the very weight of those clouds of glory around you. Maybe you long to feel the very fire from that pillar, the fire of the Spirit burning in your spirit. Maybe you want to be baptized again in the presence of the Holy Spirit, fully immersed in the Lord Jesus and in his goodness and his love for you. And you know, that's what it says happened to those Israelites, not just a cloud that hung around in the distance up there somewhere, but in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul speaks about this story. And do you know what he says? He says, our ancestors were all under the cloud. And then he says, they were baptized in the cloud. And that word means they were totally surrounded by it and immersed in it. It didn't just hover in front of them like a good idea, it sounds like. There must have been times when that cloud came down and utterly enveloped all of them and surrounded them and they were engulfed in the very presence of God in the clouds, in the fire. And it must have been a tangible moment and an unmistakable kind of encounter with God that they had. Because we're told, aren't we, that Joseph, all those generations before, he had prophesied that there would come a day when the Israelites in Egypt would know that they had been visited by God. They would know it. Verse 19, that word in our translations, maybe it says something like, when God takes care of his people. But it's the word that we often translate when God visits his people. And it's understood as an encounter. Joseph was saying, when God gets close and encounters you and meets you in a powerful way, when you know that you know that you know that you have been visited by God, then Joseph said, well, dig up my bones, because I'm on my deathbed right now. Dig up my bones and take me with you on that journey, because I don't want to miss out on the journey to that destination that God started with me and with my forefathers, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. We were all part of it. We heard it. God spoke to our family. He said, we've got a destiny. He said, we've got somewhere to get to. I'm not going to get there. I'm dying right now. But when he comes to move you on, dig up my bones. I want in on that journey. I want to go with you. And that is why he gave those deathbed instructions about his bones because prophetically, Joseph, generations before, wanted to say, I'm there, I'm still moving. Even though I'm dead in the ground, I haven't stopped moving. I will not forget that there is a destiny. I will not forget that there is somewhere we're trying to get to. I will not just say, well, we just get through life and I hope for the best and then it's over. I will not live for that because it is not what God has said to us. So dig up my bones and take me with you because I'm going to be on that journey, even if it kills me. And I'm going to be there one day because God is going to raise me up to enjoy this beautiful eternity that he has promised to every single one of us. And nothing but nothing but nothing is going to stop me getting there. That's the kind of passion that Joseph had and wrote down his instructions for the people of God. And he said, when you know you're on the move, take me with you, even if I'm dead, even if I'm gone. I wish 
that we had that kind of passion, people of God. I wish we had that kind of commitment to the movement of God that he is about in this world. I wish we had that sort of determination in our Christian walk, the kind that says, even if I don't see all of the fullness of that beautiful kingdom that Jesus has promised us, even if I don't see it, the full breakthrough in my prayers, I am going to live out my days and spend every ounce of my energy seeking after it and bringing it in and living it out and shining it forth. And even if I die doing it, I'm going to do so confident that one day I will be raised up again with Christ in that new heaven and that new earth in the eternal kingdom where that sorrow and sighing have no place and where Jesus' face shines like the sun. And if we all lived like that, with that destination burning in our hearts, don't you think we might get there a little bit quicker than we are? But to get that kind of passion, and I'm going to close in a moment with this, to get that kind of passion firing in our bones, we need to be visited by the Lord. We need to encounter him. We need to know that we have met him and keep on meeting with him. And I know that in this story, that visitation that Joseph was prophesying about, well, it began for these Israelites with these mighty wonders, didn't it? The plagues of Egypt. They couldn't mistake that God was with them and doing stuff and moving. But actually, I also believe that this cloud and this experience of the cloud was a visitation from the Lord and a tangible and powerful experience of his presence for those people. You know, the very first time that that verb to visit is used in scripture, it's when God visits Sarah, who is Abraham's wife. And she was too old to have a baby, but then she was visited by God and she conceived. And what I love about that story is what an intimate kind of an encounter that must have been for her when the Lord visited her. And I wonder if it was a little bit like that time that then happened centuries and centuries later when the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary. Maybe it came down like a cloud around her. And would help her to conceive Jesus in her womb. That wonderful, miraculous moment. And perhaps when God visits us, it's a bit like an overshadowing. It's a bit like a pillar of cloud that comes right down around us and envelops us and wraps around us. Very close to us, very intimate. Like that cloud that came and surrounded Jesus himself on the Mount of Transfiguration when his father spoke over him beautiful words of affirmation, audibly from that cloud, he said, this is my one and only son, my beloved. I love him. The cloud of God's presence. If these encounters and visits are anything to go by, it brings reassurance and affirmation and intimacy and closeness. It brings healing from the past and the struggles of the past, and it brings new beginnings. 
Do we need some of those things today? Maybe you're sat here today and you know in your heart, I need it. That cloud, when it surrounds us, it shuts out the outside clamor of the world. If you've ever been caught in a fog, then you know. It shuts everything else out. It causes you to focus inward and personal, where the strength and the healing needs to flow. And some of us know this morning that we need some work to go on on the inside of us, in the cloud. If we're ever going to complete that journey that the Lord Jesus has set before us. We need to be whole and we need to be free from the past. And I want to say to us this morning, let's invite the presence of the Lord, the cloud of his Holy Spirit to overshadow and rest on us. And final word, because at night the fire burned, didn't it? And that fire in the pillar was the fire that cuts through the darkness and cuts through the cold and the emptiness. And it allows us to forge a path into unknown and threatening terrain where we can't really see what lies ahead or where fear is gripping us, where we're afraid to put a foot wrong. The fire of God's spirit wants to burn in us and shine out from us like the flames of Pentecost and bring hope and confidence and courage as we walk out into a dark world for Jesus. And some of us, I believe this morning, we feel the darkness pressing in. We feel how ugly the world is and how cruel and cold and godless it has become. And it's bringing a chill to our soul. But I want to say to us this morning, we can keep going on this journey. We can keep moving with the movement. Don't let that make you give up because we can ask the, the Holy Spirit to come and fill us with his fire. We can call for the fire to fall on us and burn up the fear and burn up that coldness and show us the way to others who are lost in darkness too. So I don't know where you're at in your journey today. Maybe you feel the lack of the inner strength. Maybe you know you need the light of the fire to show you how to walk through a dark world, but I just want to pray for us as we close, and we'll just finish with this prayer. I want to pray for us as we close, because the Lord says he's got a cloud and a fire for us too, if we need it today. So let's just pray. Just be quiet for a moment and pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and just rest upon us. Come and move on us. Like that cloud. Like that pillar. Surround us, Lord. Lord, some of us, we just need reminding of the journey we're on. Lord, I pray that you would plant in some of our hearts the passion of Joseph. Even if we don't see it all, we're still going to live for it 100%. Lord Jesus, fill us with that fresh hope and faith, determination and courage, we pray. Remind us of this journey that you will bring to completion. Lord Jesus, I pray for any who know it's a season for healing and overshadowing. Lord, would you work in our hearts, wrap around us, with the cloud of your presence, your glory and your goodness. 
and seep deep into our hearts and make us whole and strong within so we can keep going for you. And Lord, for those who are forging a path in a dark world, would you be the light? Would you burn up the darkness and the cold? Would you remind us, Lord, that you've gone before? You know the way. You can take us through. Lord, don't let the darkness get a grip on our heart. Let the fire of your spirit rise up that we will keep walking, shining out who you are till we get to the end of our journey. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Let your name.